and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the fabricated Matt. Hello there. Hello, Matt. Well, it feels like an eternity since uh, since I last spoke to you. But to be honest, it feels like an eternity since I last spoke to anyone, um, because I've been on my own all weekend, and we're recording on a Sunday afternoon. What what if I told you I've purposely not been speaking to you because I've got some big news. You got big news. All right, let's this just dive into th- that. This isn't just big podcast news. This is big personal news. But, uh, oh crikey! I wanted to get your reaction on pod. Oh uh, okay. Like recorded forever. No no pressure. Right. Well, uh, a few years ago, obviously, I, I moved in with my now wife. And yes. between us, we had a lot of pets, obviously, famously, Moss, the dog, mm-hmm. you know, the hamster, the rabbit, the guinea pigs. And we had the agreement, David, that when mm-hmm. the last of those pets died, it would be time to have a baby. Right. And David, this week, sadly, Ernie the guinea pig passed away. Ah, oh, R.I.P. Ernie. Do you see where I'm going with this story? I mean, I do so far, but I feel like there might be a twist or something. Uh, There is, because the next day my wife came home with two guinea pigs. So the big big news this week is I just wanted to welcome our new guinea pigs, Starsky and Hutch. Ah. Well, 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 welcome to the team. Yeah. 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 The baby still eludes me. Hmm. One day. I mean... Do you think you're you are you like excited at the prospect of maybe being a father one day? Uh, yeah. I mean, I do a pretty good job looking after you, don't I? So, <laughs> and you always tell the world that you see me as such an inspirational father figure. So, I certainly do. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think you'd be good at it. Oh, I, I thought that joke was going to be better. I thought you were going to get really excited at the thought of me having a baby. But you sussed me out, you old dog. I, I know you too well, Matt. I, I, I know if if there's a long lead up like that to something, then uh, then the, there's going to be some kind yeah. of uh, you know twist one day in the I'm tail. just going to knock on your door and just go, oh, for fuck's sake, baby's on the way. <laughs> That's how you know I'm being serious. Yeah, and I'm sorry, well, I swore was, everyone. I've been yeah. I was I was going to say you you were pull, pulling me up on it last week, and there you yeah. are, straight out of yeah. the gate with the naughty right. words. Just censor that bit out. Do some editing. I'm going to write a time code there. <laughs> so how how's your week been? Um, it's yeah, it's been okay. Um, uh, we've been. I, I always complain about being short-staffed at work because I work for the NHS and specifically I work within an administrative capacity and, you know, the, they 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 get particularly understaffed because it's less visible. Um, and we, we're down a member of admin staff at the moment because someone, a colleague of mine, uh, dislocated their elbow, which is not pleasant. Um but so I'll be honest, I've I've had an absolute week of hell at work. Um, and then to cap it off, uh, my partner took my child away from me and has gone and visited her parents for the weekend. Yeah, so she is I've coming back. You made that stuck. sound like she is, you know, <laughs> like that Limmy sketch. She will be She's returning. turned the weirds against us. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I will. I will be seeing her and and little little absorber off uh, later today. Yeah, in court. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's been a long, weird weekend. I, it's not often. I'm just sort of left to my own devices, and uh, it doesn't take long for me to unravel. It must be said. Oh, I would have come round if I know. Yeah. It's you, you. You don't. You don't want to see me right now, Matt. Not when I'm in. Not. I just go full hermit. You know. It takes. It takes all of half an hour for me to just uh, basically become a bit of a shambles. But having said that, I have. I have been doing a lot of tidying up, which has been very satisfying. Because uh, here we go. I've, we're, tick, we're ticking them all off. I've complained about work. Now I'm going to complain about being a parent. The, the you won't. You don't have time to like just clean properly. When you've got a toddler, um, you uh-huh. just every day you scrape off the top layer, and so you more or less reset back to where you were, and, and then uh, it's another day of carnage. Um, so it's been quite nice to find, like you know, we've ended up with just like piles of like like boxes of stuff of just like oh we'll sort that out at some point, and this was the weekend when I actually got to sort it out. Um, so that was oh good. That's quite satisfying. Yeah. Um. Have we mentioned we're talking about Spearhead from Space? We haven't right? yet. We're talking about Spearhead from Space. So, Six minutes um, in. Let, let's just do some cold takes that we can edit in. No, it's fine. Leave it. Spearhead fi- from Space. <laughs> we're Spearhead talking space. about Spearhead from Space. That's what we're doing, listeners. There we go. And just chuck them in at the beginning. <laughs> You seem to think I'm going to do a lot more editing on this episode than I have, Matt. I, I think the the greatest reoccurring joke our podcast has is the idea that you do any editing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I'm putting it off as long as I can this week, to be honest, Matt, because I think I've gone on record as saying Pertwee's one of my faves. Mm-hmm. And uh, you absolutely hated him when we watched uh, The Demons. Uh you were really mean to to that everything about that story. Yeah, I would have to listen back to that because that's one that I've like, I've grown in affection for. Yeah, I think I I, I might might uh, maybe I took it too hardly at the time, but I I, I can't remember. But but um, all I remember my was abiding just... memory after that is just feeling like, oh, I really screwed up on that one. All I, I should remember have was a different like, story. Pertweed was just always on a motorbike. Uh, there, there was that little demon fella, and then at the end it just yeah. turned out it was the master all along. Yeah. That, I mean, you're not wrong about any of those elements, but... Yeah, I just got the feeling. I, I went in fully expecting you to really be on board for Pertwee. I thought he'd really win you over and charm you, and that just didn't seem to happen. So I'm very, very nervous about going into this one because, you know, I've already suffered it once. I can't... I can't sit through another hour of you trashing Pertwee, mm-hmm. I don't think. So um, uh, let's talk about food for as long as you like, Matt, because I'm, I'm going to keep putting it off, I think. Right. So what what did you have for breakfast today? Uh, well, being left to my own devices, I, I could make a leisurely breakfast for the first time in a, in, in, in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, so I scrambled myself some eggs. Oh, nice! And I don't know how. Where, I don't know where you stand on scrambled eggs in general. Uh, um, I like them, but they have to be done properly. I don't like them wet at all. 
Well, you see, this is the thing. It's it's very much a personal tasting, isn't it? I prefer a slightly wet scrambled egg. Uh, I, I like just a little bit of sloppiness in there. I like there. mine like egg foo young, basically like an omelette. Ah, uh, you see, I, I can't stand that, because that's how my mum used to make scrambled eggs, and she'd do them in the microwave. And so, you know, they'd, they'd just be like rubber ball, it'd be like rubber balls bouncing off your toast. Mm-hmm. And I can't be doing with that. So... When I when I do scrambled eggs for myself, and, and my partner's the same as you, she she doesn't, you know, I think she worries she's going to get food poisoning or whatever from an ever so slightly under scrambled egg. Um, but yeah, I like to cook it like really slowly and gently um, with probably far too much butter in there. And today, cause, just because it was knocking around in the fridge, and a little bit of like smoky fake ham. Okay. So I just chopped a bit of that up and chucked it in there. Oh, nice. And you know what? Meal of the week, Matt. Oh, really? Without a doubt. Yeah. I started my Sunday right this week. Oh, wow. Well, so, my, uh, my breakfast was go. largely uneventful. Just had the usual, like, coffee and a biscuit, basically. But my meal of the week, things got a little bit mad. I basically lost my mind a little bit yesterday. And you know right. when you get something so wrong but you're convinced it's right? Uh, I wound up, like, arguing with all my friends I was right, but with hindsight, I was so wrong. So Was this uh, in, in the... Oh, no, this wouldn't have been Friday evening. So so uh, what what was this in relation so to? Yesterday, then? I spent most of my day making a lovely chilli con carne. And yeah. I bought a selection of chilies from Booth's. Uh, and uh-huh. it had, you know, jalapeno, scotch bonnet... You know, all the big hitters. Your, 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 your payday's come, you're back on the booths, eh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I made an incredibly spicy chilli con carne. Right. And I like my spice, but even for me, it was a bit much. Hmm. And for some reason, even though I know this isn't the case, I got it in my head that the opposite of chilli... If, if you were cooking a meal that was too spicy, David, what would you add? To relieve that spice. I mean, with chilli, the obvious answer is just get some sour cream. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. For some reason, I convinced myself the opposite of chilli was garlic. What? So I just put, like, a full head of garlic into this chilli con carne. <laughs> so it, it didn't relieve any of the spice. No. But it turned it into this beautiful, spicy garlic mess. Mm. Like I mean, you're almost with, with if you go with strong garlic flavors, you're almost creeping into bolognese territory. Yeah, but it was far, far too spicy, and it had kidney beans. It was mm. a proper chili con carne. I'd gone all out. Yeah, because uh, as well as mince, when I was at Booth's uh, deli counter, I also put a little bit of shredded smoked ham in there to give it a bit more flavor. Oh. Um, so we've, we've, we've both gone down the, the chopping up a bit of ham route mm, with our meal of the week this week. So, yeah, I wound up with mm. this garlicky, spicy, mincy slop, mm. and it was so nice. Does, doesn't sound too bad. Doesn't sound too I mean, shabby at all. I mean, I do like like a garlic... Uh, if I go to the curry house, quite often get a garlic bolty. So mm. I was in my... In my wheelhouse. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm extremely pro-garlic as well. Basically, any time I see a recipe, it's like, you know, one clove of garlic, I'm like, oh, come off it, three at least. Yeah. You know. Well, that's it. I put a little bit in, and 
I'll, I'll be honest, I recently bought myself a new garlic rocker for the kitchen. Mm. And I think I just got overexcited. <laughs> um, so I just went mad rocking all my garlic. Um, yeah. I, I was telling friend of the show, Tim Riley, last night, and he said he's really concerned that I'm giving myself stomach ulcers. Because <laughs> all I eat is spicy garlic. But Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I've got a chilli story from this week, actually. Um, oh. It wasn't me. It was my partner cooking. She decided she was going to make chilli. Um, you know, just just quick and easy chilli and rice for dinner. And I was like, yep, yeah, well up for that. Off you go. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll look after little absorbs for a bit. Um, and quite early on into the process, she, but not early enough, she realised we had none of the ingredients for chilli. <laughs> Um, save for a tin of tomatoes. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any soya mints in the freezer. We didn't have any kidney beans in the cupboard. Um, I don't think we even had an onion. Like, it just been a complete <laughs> failure on the uh, uh, thing. So she just she just improvised. And it was a, 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 amazing what she pulled, pulled together. Like, we had a couple of old, neglected, frozen veggie beef burgers mm-hmm. in the in the back of the freezer she was like oh, okay i'll just sort of lightly fry those and like just smush them up as best i can she grabbed a tip in, in lieu of kidney beans she used a tin of chickpeas um okay but you know we've got a reasonably well well stocked spice cupboard and she just magicked it all together and it wasn't chilly as you or i recognize it but it was very nice. It was actually a really lovely meal. And until this morning, it was front runner for meal of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, the one thing, one of the things I envy most about my partner, who is, I mean, th- there's a lot to choose from. She is just um, superior to me in almost every conceivable way. Um, but one of the things I most envy about her is that she's so calm when it comes to improvising in the kitchen and i just go to pieces if i you know i need i i i more often than not i need a recipe and i need to like measure my ingredients out in advance of of commencing you know and if if i don't have one ingredient i just immediately panic and want to just call the whole thing off Whereas she can just be like, I fancy making a cake. She'll look in the cupboard. There's almost nothing in the cupboard. Mm-hmm. But still, an hour later, she's somehow managed to conjure a beautiful chocolate cake out of nothing. Yeah. And I just, I don't know how she does it. So, yeah, I just, I I, I really genuinely admire and am envious of, of, of that. I don't know what you're like in the kitchen. It sounds like you're a more confident I, I'm than pretty me. good with what I know, but I rarely step out my comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah, like. But how how are you with like thinking on your feet? If you if you start cooking something and you realise you don't have what you need, um, chances are I'll probably just get in the car and go buy whatever it is I need. I, I, <laughs> I would get stressed otherwise. You you'd, you see that's what I would do if I had the ability. But uh, as I mentioned before, I don't drive and I don't live within walking distance of a shop, mm. so I am I am absolutely screwed. Um, in those situations. Um, so, is that enough food talk for one week? I, I guess it'll have to be. I don't... 
I don't have anything else. Do you have um, a non-Doctor Who television highlight of the week? I do, I do. And uh, um, it will also potentially tie into what I like to Who this week, because it's my turn, isn't it, it is. to do uh, to do that. So um, so I'll start with the easy bit. Obviously, having the, the house to myself for a weekend, I was like, great, and finally I've got an opportunity to start catching up on all the films I missed in 2019. Because fortunately, 2020, that was a bit of a <laughs> write-off yeah. in terms of films. So that's it's kind of nice that I haven't missed out on two years' worth. But, but 2019 was basically the year of not being able to see anything I'm interested in that came out in the cinema. So um, I haven't managed to do everything on my list. I've still got Into the Spider-Verse on my list, and I've still got Deadpool 2 on my list. But I did at least tick off Spider-Man Far From Home. Okay. And um, Rise of the Skywalker, the uh, the final of the of the most recent Star Wars trilogy. Yeah. Um, now we will talk more about the latter okay. when it comes to would I lie to who, because that's the subject for that. Um, but Spider Man Far From Home is just it's so charming, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a good watch. It's a good one. Yeah, it's like it's. I'm not saying it's the best Marvel film ever made, but especially as a palate cleanser, as a sorbet after the banquet that was Endgame. Yeah, it's really nice, isn't it? Yeah, and it it sets up obviously all the stuff that's in One Division, all the stuff that's in yeah. uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah, I quite like it, and I really, and- really like. Uh, I say I really like him. I forget his name now. The guy that plays Mysterio. Jake. Yeah, that's him. Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, a very good performance from him. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, the, and the, the, there's that one sequence as well, you know, the absolute sort of uh, mind-screwing uh, sequence. Yeah. With, you know, where he's just sort of toying with... Uh, Peter Parker's sense of reality is, you know, great. Probably the, like the, the the trippiest sequence we've had since uh, since that bit in Doctor Strange. And you know me, I like I, I like it when my sci-fi gets trippy. Yeah. So that was that was you know well up my street. And also just just surrounding it, I really like all of the sort of the like high school comedy element of it i really like how they play into that with with this iteration of spider-man um so yeah just a really sweet well done film um and i think one that's maybe gotten a little bit forgotten about just because it came out and then like was it later that same year into the spider-verse came out and everyone just kind of raved about that yeah yeah and i I am excited to see that because it's obviously something quite different to do with spider-man but uh yeah i kind of just it was really i i was i was i was prioritizing ones that i just felt like i needed to check off the list for you know the completionist in me just needed to yeah to tick them off um because that's it because like the next wave of marvel (coughs) films aren't that far away now no did you watch that video that came out recently on the official marvel yeah kind of just teeing up everything over the next uh crikey they've they've got a backlog haven't they <laughs> yeah. i think we're getting four films before the end of this year 
three or four. It's yeah. It uh, and I don't know whether I'm going to be able to wangle some uh, evenings at the cinema. I hope I will because uh, oh, I'm I miss it so much, Matt. Uh, I've it, I've got the book cin- to get back to the cinema. Yeah, cinema and live music are the things I miss more than anything else right now. Well, this week I watched one of the films you didn't. I watched Deadpool two again. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Um, watched it over a few nights. Watched like half an hour a day. Yeah. Um, uh, can't remember. Oh, last week I watched the finale of Invincible, but we didn't talk about that on pod. That was pretty good. But yeah. Probably the best thing I watched this week, and I wasn't really that fussed about seeing it, but my wife put yeah. it on and I started watching it, and it was pretty good. Uh, Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic. Right. It, it's pretty good. I, I'd watch it again. I quite like Elton John, mm. even though he haunts my dreams where me and you are. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm surprised this is coming after yeah. the uh, the dream incident and not before. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I watched that. Did you know there's part of that film where he literally turns into a rocket man and shoots himself into space? <laughs> it's my turn to do what I like to who this week, Matt. Have you forgotten? That, oh, I wish I saved that, but that I promise you that's true. <laughs> there's a bit where Elton John, his shoes just have like thrusters in it, like Iron Man, uh-huh. and he shoots off into the stars. Is it like a dream sequence? Or? Uh, it might be representing a drug trip, but... Uh, right. But yeah... That's very on the nose, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, he just goes, I'm a rocket man, and he is a rocket man. Well, that's that's something. That's something I didn't expect to learn today. Um, Should we do Would I Lie to Who, then? Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, um, so... Nothing Who-related this week, um, because, as I say, I'm going to talk about uh, Rise of the Skywalker... I you can't say fashionably late to the party with this. I'm just playing up late, very late to this. But so here is my... Um, one of these is basically my, my hot take, if you like, on, uh, on Rise of Skywalker. <clears throat> or at least my reaction to it. So, <coughs> statement number one. I watched Rise of Skywalker yesterday and... I think it is the best Star Wars film I have ever seen. Statement number two. I watched Rise of the Skywalker yesterday. I think it is the worst Star Wars film I have ever seen. Or statement number three. I tried to watch Rise of the Skywalker. I got about 30, 40 minutes in. And I was so sick of it that I gave up and just watched some classic Who instead. It's C. Yeah. Just try, don't you're, even you're, be... not, you're not gonna you're not gonna probe any further with any of those. <laughs> um, um, so if it's the best Star Wars film you've ever seen, what's the best bit? Um, I just the just the sense of you know that's like the final battle. I just felt it just built up really nicely to this. Talk, talk me through the final battle. Um, it's you know it's just it kind of it just hit all of those classic Star Wars. Can you can you tell me who's in the final battle, please? Um, okay, so you've got uh, Poe Dameron. He's around, right? Um, and uh, and the stormtrooper guy. I'm blanking on his name right now. Finn. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
yeah, you know, it's it's a it's just a big old space battle. It's what you want out of Star Wars, isn't it? See, I don't know if you're intentionally getting that wrong to outwit me, <laughs> or if you are just that. that's 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 all in the game, isn't it? Yeah. Um, if if it's the worst Star Wars film, yeah. Uh, what makes it so bad? I just I feel like. I mean, I, I'll I'll be honest. I, I quite liked Last Jedi. I know it's controversial to say that you that. It, it very much divided opinion. I really quite enjoyed Last Jedi, and I felt like this one undid a lot of what I liked about Last Jedi. Okay, can you give me some examples? Um, so the whole race lineage thing. Um, I guess spoilers for a two-year-old film at this point. The reveal about that when they. I thought it was really brave and interesting the way in Last Jedi, the undercutter, you know, oh, who are my parents? Oh, they're nobody. And it kind of rejects that that tropey, you know, heroes, destiny, lineage thing that Star Wars has been kind of bogged down by for a long time. And it kind of was a conscious rejection of that. And then because some fans reacted badly to it, they were like, oh, actually, maybe we won't do that. Um, and they kind of backtrack on it in a really dumb way. Um, and, uh, you know, the way some characters, I think, were sidelined. And it just... And it was just very kind of... Hmm. Very, very muddled and plodding. Very talky. So... What, what did you think about Ray's lineage in the finale, in the final scene? It just, it didn't, it just, it just felt hollow to me, you know? Which, which bit? Just, like, why should it make a difference? You know, why should it make a difference what her family tree looks like? Mm. Right. Now, now that you've acknowledged that, that makes me think it's not C, because you have to watch the end to find that bit out. Mm. Or did I just read about it on the internet? Did you consider that, Matt? Could have just, could just, could have just wikied it. Got fed yeah, up. Yeah, you're, t- you're too lazy. <laughs> if you're not going to edit a podcast, you're not going to Google a Star Wars. Yeah. Okay. So, what was the fi- what was your question about C? Uh, what classic? Who did you watch? Um, I just fancied a little bit of early Tom Baker, so I just uh, just went in on Genesis of the Daleks. Okay. Just, is you it, know, it's a classic for a reason. Is it a classic? It is. It's, it's you know, up there with, you know, meant to be one of the greatest of all time. <clears throat> the only reason I've I've not considered us doing it before is, is really down to the fact that it's six parts. It's a little bit flabby. But okay. the good is so good in it. It's, you know, it's the, it's the story that introduces Davros. I hope you have watched it, because I'm going to make us watch that for the next classic review. Okay. I mean, if you're up for doing six episodes, I am. Yeah, why not? Why not? Uh, I'm going to change my answer. I'm going to go for B, that you hated it. You are correct. Really? Absolute fucking hated it. I can't even remember what the score is. I think it's about 7-3 to you now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. 
something like that. Yeah, well, well done. You, yeah. yeah. Last time, last time I wrote the score down, it was seven two, so it's seven yeah. three. Yeah. You just so, hated it. I just, uh, yeah, I, I really, you know, I went in with fairly low expectations because I knew a lot of people were very mixed on it at most. So I went in just being like, well, if it's just a breezy ride and it ties up the loose ends, that'll do for me. But it didn't do that. It actively undermined everything that I liked about the previous instalment. Uh, you know, for example, the way they, the way they sideline Rose, I thought was frankly shameful. Um, and the... Yeah, the whole the whole Palpatine reveal thing is just why, what, how is this, how is this better? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, kind of. I get where you're coming from. I just it didn't sit well with me at all. Like the the actions, the action bits were competently executed, but they never kind of hooked me in. Um, have you watched any of the new Star Wars? So have you watched like the Mandalorian? Not yet. I'm, I'm, it's on my to-do list. I will get round to it. Yeah. I tried I mean, watching... I, I, I like all Star Wars. Yeah. But I would agree. The final few films weren't for me. I think the thing is, for me, I have no nostalgia for Star Wars. Uh-huh. I, I watched them, like, once growing up, and I was like, eh, okay. Like, they didn't... They didn't, like... They, they weren't, like, a pivotal part of my childhood or anything. So, I, I I made it because I want good stories and good characters, and I feel like I didn't really get that at all with this one. Um, so yeah, it was a big it was a big disappointment for me. I think a bit of a missed opportunity, and it just seems like the fact it was like an, another another desert planet. How many times do we have to? Planets. How many times do we have to do desert planets? Just do something different. Um, so yeah, I just I just found it when it was at its best, it was like competent and bland, uh-huh. and when it was at its worst, it was kind of actively undermining what was happening before. And like, even though I'm not a big fan of the prequels at all, because I think they're just jumbled, overlong messes of films, there is at least. There is an, an an ambition and a visual flair to them that I feel is weirdly lacking in uh, in Rise of the Skywalker. Oh well, yeah. Hopefully next week you'll have enjoyed whatever you choose to watch. Yeah, that would be nice. What watch Rocket Man? Tell me what you think of Rocket. Uh, Man. It's on Netflix. Well, maybe after I've done Spider Verse. Uh, I can't remember what else I've watched this week. I started watching Jupiter's Legacy on Netflix. Right. What's uh, that? Uh, it's, a, it's a comic by Mark Millar. All right, okay. Uh, oh, yeah, they've um, got like a special deal with him, haven't they? Basically, every idea he has, they own. on Netflix, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it's a little bit like Invincible. I don't know if it's better or worse yet. I've only watched two episodes. So Invincible's animated. Is, that, is this animated as well? No, this is live action. Right. Um, and I, I wasn't really in it until the end of the first episode where there's a big superhero fight, and that was right. pretty cool. Yeah. And the thing is, they'll have put that in at the end of episode one to keep you hooked, and then there probably won't be another big superhero fight for three episodes. I was going to say, there sure isn't in episode two. Yeah, because that's, 
that's the Netflix model, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's all just about just just giving you enough crumbs to keep you keep you watching the next one. Yeah. I've gotten very cynical about Netflix's uh, original programming in recent years. I must say. Because it used to be so good, and then all of a sudden it just isn't. I think they just they they spread themselves too thin, both in terms of the like the the plotting of the stories that they do, and also the fact that I just think they don't spend every show they do since I feel like Stranger Things. It's felt like they haven't spent quite enough money on. Like they spend enough to get away with it, and for it to look kind of surface level glossy. But, like, uh, like The Witcher, for example. I remember watching The Witcher and just feeling like, I mean, it's glossy, but it's glossy in the way like a catalogue is glossy. The world didn't feel lived in. It didn't feel real to me. Mm-hmm. Um, in the way, say, Game of Thrones did. Yeah. Um, and obviously, that's a that's a maybe an unfair comparison because Game of Thrones famously is like one of the most expensive TV shows ever made. But have you seen any of yeah. the pictures from the new Game of Thrones prequel series? Yeah, old Matt Smith, good old Targaryen. Matt Smith. Yeah, that's good casting, isn't it? Yeah, it'll be good in it. Yeah, definitely. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I I do wish I want. I want someone to adapt another fantasy series well enough that it could be a big hit the way Game of Thrones was. Maybe that will never happen. But every every attempt to kind of cash in on the popularity of Game of Thrones by doing some other kind of fantasy adaptation has really flopped for me. None of them have stuck. I've I've been eyeing up Shadow and Bone that's dropped on Netflix recently, but I don't know. I don't know that I can be asked. Yeah, like I say, aren't Amazon doing a Lord of the Rings one? They are, and it's just like, come on, just do adapt literally any other fantasy series. Um, I'm trying to think what would be the best one. I, I can't remember. Well, I've only I, just I, I, started reading it, but I have started reading uh, the 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 Mistborn trilogy, Brandon okay. Sanderson, which is very highly acclaimed and. So far, I'm enjoying it. I'm only a couple of chapters in, but... Uh... What was the one I read? It's on the bookshelf behind me. Um, or I say that. Uh, there's a Joe Abercrombie series of books. They're pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're quite grim, aren't they? I remember reading a sample yeah. of one on my Kindle and just being like, I don't think I'm in the right frame of mind for this. <laughs> so I've never picked it up. But uh... yeah. yeah, but there are so many out there. So, so many that are ripe for, for adaptation. But no one seems to be. They either, you know, like that. I'm sure Amazon will spend some crazy money on Lord of the Rings, but it's like, but we've done that. Do something else. Yeah. Who I knows? don't know. Oh, sorry, I'm I'm quite grumpy now, aren't I? It's just yeah. I, t- I tell you what. I wonder it's, what it's the just next trend will be. We've done yeah. Star Wars. We've done comic book movies. We've done Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah, we're ticking them all off this week, aren't we? It's just because, Matt, I've not spoken to anyone in 24 hours. <laughs> Bring back westerns. Oh, don't, though. You don't I, I, need in to. In fact, one thing I did watch this week that I forgot to mention, it's just a great film. Yeah. And I just saw it on Netflix, and I couldn't scroll past it yesterday. So for two hours, I sat and watched Close Encounters of the Third Kind. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It didn't... It's very... It's surprisingly slow, isn't it? Yeah, but... You know... I'm not saying it's bad. It's just... I mean, you kind of are, but never mind. (laughs) It's fine. Wouldn't it be interesting if it turns out we get to the Spearhead review and you loved it and I'm just really down on it for the whole episode? Fingers crossed. (laughs) Shall we just talk about Spearhead from Space? Oh, okay, okay. Come on then. Tell me how much you hated it, Matt. Good episode, bad episode. Um, I think this might be my favourite classic Who that we've watched. Really? I mean, is that damning with faint praise? It's top three. It's up there with The Rescue and Twin Dilemma for me. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that definitely sounds like damning with faint praise. No, um, this was pretty good. I quite like this. Received wisdom, but yeah, it is good, isn't it? Yeah, like I watched like the first couple of episodes, and I was just like, I think I'll go all in and just watch the rest. Yeah, it's really breezy, and just it has a sense of fun to it. Yeah, I mean, how can it not be fun when you've got Pertwee like speeding round in a wheelchair? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Probably my favourite bit. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that, don't worry. I think and he won so... a BAFTA for that scene. <laughs> well, Matt, if that's not BAFTA-worthy t- television, I don't know what is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just going to say that about every episode from this point on. Yeah. Like, I, I read some facts about that scene, and it's just mental. What sort of facts? Did you know that that scene inspired the movie Highlander? Uh, Matt, would I like to who? It's your turn next week, right? <laughs> Are you remember. serious? I, is that? Yeah, that that was a serious fact. <laughs> I didn't know that. that. Basically, I can't remember the guy's name. That he watched that, and as if from nowhere, it immediately like spawned the idea of Highlander. There can only be one in his mind. That I think after watching that episode, he said he sat down and he wrote and fleshed out like a first draft of the story. That. That seems like quite a leap. Oh. I was hoping you'd believe that, and then next week I'd be like, ha-ha, would I lie to who? Got ya. <laughs> but i tell you what is interesting. It's the only bit, because I, I, I forgot to look up. I, I say forgot. I was too lazy to look up, let's be honest, Matt. Um, any trivia around this one. But um, one of the most notable things that you may have noticed or may not is it's all shot on film. Yeah, and everyone on Twitter, when I was like, oh, we're doing this this week, everyone just said, oh, did you know it's uh, filmed on, on film? Yeah, it's just one of those interesting facts uh, because it, it gives the it gives the, a consistency in look more in keeping with, like, films of that era. And as a result, it was one of the first uh, classic series uh, stories to be released on Blu-ray. Oh, really? Because they were able to, you know, like, consistently upgrade the look of it um whereas when you've got the standard production model of exterior and location shooting is done on film and then the interior stuff is all done on sets on video and you've got that kind of contrast between the two looks um so yeah, it it does give it a very particular flavour, and it, obviously it does the... look like a movie from the time. It looks yeah. like Carry On Doctor. 
Yeah, exactly. It just it has that sort of look about it, which gives it a, a, a particular charm, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, the reason behind that, of course, is because there was a strike. Um, yes. So, uh, you know, <laughs> in classic 70s style. Um but yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you had a good time with this one, Matt. I mean Yeah, I didn't mind this at all. Good. Shall we shall we shall we just get stuck into it then? Uh well, shall we have some listener opinions? Oh yes, if if we've got any. Um First and foremost, I just want to say hello to the Doctor Who show podcast. I haven't checked them out yet, I really should. I had a nice chat with them this week about Australian television. Them and, you know, our hero, Martin McLean. Yeah. Um, but there's a few people that I was hoping you'd just say hello to, David. Okay, I'll try. Uh, can you say hello to the Platinum Boys? Uh, he- hello, Platinum Boys. Uh, can you say hello to Big Cheddar? Hello, Big Cheddar. And can you say hello to Uncle Chicken? Hello, Uncle Chicken. I'm sure you've made these up, but uh, okay. Uh, no, that that's the name of... Uh, well, it's the code name for some of my friends that I play Xbox with that listen. <laughs> um, which one of those do you think is my nickname? Okay, so so we had Platinum Boys. Yeah. I mean, you're only one boy, so... Yeah, but I could be odd. one of two Platinum Boys. Okay. Uh, Big Cheddar and... Uncle Chicken. I'm going to guess Uncle Chicken. I am Uncle Chicken. Yeah. Did you know that my niece and nephew call me Uncle Chicken? And whenever they they hear me speak, they start barking like chickens to interrupt me. (laughs) That sounds great. Whenever I see them, they're like, oh, great, Uncle Chicken's here. And I'll say, hi, guys, how's it going? And they go, I need to start doing that whenever you're trashing an episode I like. Yeah, next, uncle next time, next time you you're, you're you're laying into if you like if if we have another midnight situation on our hands, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna go bah, 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 every time you say something. Oh, mean. Down, down. Yeah, right. Uh, so, couple of listener opinions. Yes. Uh, if we start with the Doctor Who show, they say superscript the sheer good look to be shot on film, making it feel like a made-for-TV movie rather than just episodic Doctor Who. Arguably the best debut story in Classic Who, and certainly top three for Classic and Modern Who combined. It's a winner. Hard to dispute any of that. Uh, yeah, they mentioned the script there. Robert Holmes, I don't think uh, we've talked very much about. I think, is this our first Holmes story? Gosh, I think it might be. He's... This isn't entirely a fair comparison, but he's prob- he's essentially like the Stephen Moffat of Classic Who. Okay. In that he's he was incredibly prolific and had a very high hit rate. So he I think he wrote more stories than any other single writer mm-hmm. for Classic Who. And by and large, they're very well liked, his stories. Um and he he I think his first script was for the second doctor. He had a stint as story editor or script editor during the Fourth Doctor's era, for what probably one of the most popular runs of the Fourth Doctor's era, um, and he was still writing stories through into the Sixth Doctor's era. So, you know, he had he has a big legacy when it comes to this show, 
and he introduced some some pretty key ideas in some of his stories in terms of like law that has continued to be uh, explored for decades to come. So, like for example, I believe he was the one that came up with the the thirteen regenerations limit. Right. Okay. In uh, in one of his stories and th- things like that. So. Uh, yeah, a really pivotal writer. And he had the honour of, of introducing the world to the third Doctor in this story. Mm. Uh, Frank then says he likes it when the spearhead comes from space. <laughs> and then, are you sitting comfortably, David? I am. Because we've got a few messages from good old Marty McLean here. Ah, oh, it's, uh, it's an honour as always, Marty. I feel I feel bad because I'm gonna post Marty that uh, Doctor Who TV movie book, uh, but it's still in my front room, not wrapped up. Ah, so. so it will make its way to Marty. I just I never have a day where I go near a post office. Yeah, they're, they're few and far between these days. Mm. So Marty says. His dad showed him this one when he was 10, so it holds a special place in his heart. Ah, good choice, good choice. He says, Doctor Who works best when it takes the everyday into the uncanny valley. The script is tight, the direction is resourceful, uh, such as the high street and the press conference. The autons are genuinely creepy because of their gauze eyes. 16mm film brings a cinematic quality that Solly missed until, in my opinion, the 11th hour which coincidentally plays to the spearhead best way to introduce a new Doctor to a new audience playbook closely. Yeah. And then he says, he's yarned on about this for long enough, but he bloody loves it. Well, Marty, I could listen to your yarning all day, you beautiful, beautiful man. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. It's just, yeah. it, it, it kind of, it just, it. I think a lot of people are hitting on that there's a sort of efficiency to it. Hmm. You know, and to be honest, an efficiency that is sadly lacking at times for the rest of this series, because as much as I enjoy all of series seven, which was Pertwee's first first season, um, this is the only four parter. The rest Mm. are all like six, seven episodes. Well, that's it. In in the final message we got, Jake from Married to Who. Do you want to say hello to those, David? Hello, Married to Who. Anything else you want to say to them, David? Not not, not at the moment. Okay. Uh, He says, I like Spearhead a lot. It has a lot of work to do in only four episodes, as it has to introduce a whole new show, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Really, your only continuing element is uh, the Brigadier and Unit. Mm -hmm. And even then, this is the Brigadier's... The third, no, maybe fourth appearance, because you've got the two Yeti stories and the invasion. So, yeah, yeah, fourth appearance. So, and really, this is this is the point at which Unit become a fixture, because you've got the whole plot line of, of the Doctor is exiled on Earth, basically becomes a, a, a scientific advisor for Unit, and, and it, it sets up that whole dynamic. Um and you know, obviously, we we need to mention it's the first first st- story shot in color. Mm-hmm. That's very significant. Though it must be said, for probably the majority of the viewing public at the time, they would have watched it in black and white. Because UK were really late adopters when it came to color TV. Yeah, 
So, um, but yeah, it, it's. I mean, uh, I, I had a black and white TV set well into the. Well, I say well into the. Probably into the early 90s. Yeah, definitely. We, we had one. We had one knocking around in our house. I think it was in my parents' bedroom for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, I think it was partly because the 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 they made the decision that the license that the a color license fee was more expensive than a black and white one, right, so okay. there was an additional cost. And apart from the fact that the TV set itself cost more money, you, and you also had this thing of uh, it, it was going to cost you more per month or per year for the privilege of continuing to watch in color. Um, so, understandably, a lot of the British public in the early 70s were like, oh, well, you know, well, I'm not missing out that much. It's the same shows, so they just kept watching in black and white. Um, but it does look good, doesn't it, in colour? Yeah. Yeah, it's an all-round good episode, good story, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's discuss this all-round good story. What happens in it, Matt? Right, so we're starting on the 3rd of January, 1970. Yeah. Can you remember what you were doing at the time, David? <laughs> just waiting around for another 16 and a half years. Yeah, just hanging around in my old dad's balls. Yeah. So, episode one opens with space. Something detected on a radar heading for Earth. Yeah. And then, this is where we're introduced to one of my favourite characters. Just a tramp in his garden. and It's he's... not a tramp. Well, is he? <laughs> oh, oh, no, I'm getting confused with the poetry. It's different, isn't it? No, no this is Sam Seeley. Like yeah, it is. weird country... He's a poacher. He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a country bumpkin. He's a walking stereotype. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, anyway, he's uh, moving some plants as these weird pods land on Earth. Yeah. And we really should just talk about the, how stereotyped he is. Like he basically does look like he's he's I don't know understudy for the Wurzels. Yeah, he looks like green grass out of heartbeat. <laughs> like you know, with the old red neckerchief and the smock and all the rest of it. The only thing missing is the like just the strand of hay hanging out the corner of his mouth. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's who uh, Pertwee modelled Wurzel Gummidge on. It's possible. So, he finds one of the pods on Earth, and as you would, he just gives it a good old prod. Yeah. What would you do in that situation, Matt, if you just some weird plastic lump had just landed from space in front of you? Uh, it depends what I had to hand. If I was holding, like, a broom, I'd maybe give it a poke. <coughs> yeah. Um, but I wouldn't bare hand prod it like he does. No, he just gets stuck in there, doesn't he? So, we're then... Go back to, I assume it's unit, where a man's watching the radar who thinks they're meteorites. Yeah. And we see the TARDIS land in a field as the Doctor falls out. Yes. Okay. So there's loads going on. There's like, there's always like four or five separate stories going on in this, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And it's cut, often cutting between them quite quickly as well. So there's... we then see a lady... This is a good example of how it cuts between. Yeah. Being driven in a car to Unit HQ. Yeah. It's Liz Shaw. It is Liz Shaw. I love the music. I, I'd never noticed before the music uh, in that sequence when she's she's making her way to HQ. And it's just this like really sort of 
sultry late 60s, early 70s jazz. It, it's just got a very particular flavour to it that I really enjoyed. And very fitting for her character, I think. Because, she, I, okay, I could talk a lot about Liz Shaw. Um, and, and I will do, but... Yeah, I just because it's not it's not like smooth jazz, you know. It's actually got a bit of complexity to it in the same way. I think Liz Shaw is not is not immediately likable. Mm. Like there is a haughtiness and a uh, and uh, she's so dry. Yeah, yeah, especially um, for like an anti-feminist like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah thanks for that Matt. the yeah. messages you sent me about why is Liz Shaw in a lab and not a kitchen <laughs> are just not appreciated Dave <laughs> but I, I quite liked Liz Shaw because yeah. I, I mean in the same way if you go back to when we had Barbara yeah. who is like a female teacher and Liz is a female academic Yeah, they're chalk and cheese like Barbara was this, like, clever lady who immediately fell into becoming, like, just a side character. Well, I don't know. I don't know that that's fair, but there is... She, Barbara's... she doesn't shine as much in the story as Liz does. No, I mean, well, Barbara is kind of very warm and has a sort of, like, like a, like a nice auntie vibe mm-hmm. to her. Whereas, yeah, Liz just... She just, I mean, she doesn't suffer fools gladly. No, it's the it's the simplest way to put it. I think she just she doesn't have time for being patronised, and you know, and rightly so. Um, and yeah, so there's there's just a standoffishness about her, and and very much a very clear break from a lot of the the sort of typical female companions that we've had, especially during the Troughton era. Where I mean, for example, um, Zoe, who you know, who is a mathematical genius and you know a computer expert from the future, but is still quite you know, uh, in inverted commas, girly girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just it, it just straight off the bat, you it, you know this it just feels so different from the Troughton years, when it's only a few months between them. It's in color. It's it, it it's sparky and it's tight and, and and you've got this new companion who just feels very modern all of a sudden, you know. Anyway, that's, so yeah, we're, we're, we're only like two minutes into this story. Let's crack on. She's in a car on her way to go see Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart. Yeah. Who, much like Elton John... At some point in his life, we'll turn into a rocket man and shoot into space. <laughs> Thanks for reminding everyone of that, Matt. That's what all I could think when he was yeah. like going, you know, hello, Doctor, I'm in head charge of unit. I'm like, mate, if you knew how this story ends, <laughs> you'd it's, run a mile. It's what Nicholas Courtney would have wanted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. What a fitting and respectful end. <laughs> So Liz Shaw is an expert in meteorites who's been headhunted by UNIT. Yeah. Because the meteorites keep landing in Essex. And we find out the doctor's been taken to hospital. Yes. Okay. So Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart thinks the space programme has drawn attention to Earth 
and that's why aliens are heading here. Yeah. Okay, a little bit like the start of the Avengers, isn't it? I guess it is, yeah. Okay, and he then talks of the Doctor and says, oh, I wish the Doctor was here. So he goes to the hospital to see the Doctor. Yeah. Okay, where the... I like this bit, where the the X-ray shows that the Doctor has two hearts. And rather than question that, his Doctor just becomes immediately furious that someone's played a prank on him. <laughs> yeah, I really... I, I, need, I should have looked up who played him. I really like the Doctor in this. Because he's um, furious at that, and then he's furious that a man is hoovering. <laughs> yeah, he's got a real sort of just entitled, like, you, you get the feeling, like, the moment he got his medical degree, he was he just thought he was, you know, better than everybody else. If, if you were angry that someone was playing a prank on you, yeah. and then you were angry someone was hoovering, yeah. How do you think you'd re- react when someone rings you up to say that the blood sample you provided isn't human? <laughs> he is well, raging. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's it, so good, yeah. So the man that's doing the hoovering is immediately suspicious. Yeah. And he just rings the local chronicle to say, oh, there's a weird two-hearted alien man in the hospital. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, he, he specifically before he he spills the beans, he wants to make sure that they that they still pay for stories. Yeah. He's just in it for the money. He's dollar dollar. Yeah, but I mean, so, fair enough. I, I was also struck with the fact like he's a hospital porter and he looks like a freaking waiter in a posh restaurant. Yeah. Like, is that really how they dressed back then? You well, know, I, I thought that. white I tuxedo like, and bow tie. Like, there's a bit where later on we'll talk about. Where yeah. the doctor kind of escapes the hospital and he goes behind the scenes. And I'm like, this is so far distant from what hospitals are like these days. <laughs> yeah. Everything's it's... like wood panelled walls. Nothing's yeah. being cleaned. <laughs> you know, like people just smoking inside. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a, it was a different time, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah. So Sam Seeley, the tramp, the poacher, yeah. digs up a glowing crystal and back... At the hospital, the doctor begins to stir in his sleep as unit arrive. Yeah. Except the unit can't get straight to the doctor because the press are there with loads of questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Liz and the brigadier talk to the doctor's doctor for a bit because the brigadier doesn't recognise the doctor. Yeah. But the doctor recognises him. Yeah. Okay. So the doctor looks in a mirror and... Like, Pertwee's quite good at, like, almost physical comedy here, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, he did have... He was one of the... He, of the Doctors, he's one of the ones with the, the, the most comedy experience. Mm. And I think there was an expectation on him that he would basically play it as quite a comedic character. Yeah. And I think what's quite interesting is that he do, that he kind of... He'll bring the funny when he needs to. But he do, he kind of resisted that that temptation to do that, to make him into a clownish kind of figure, and instead, you know, he kind of brings him into a much more sort of suave action man kind of mm-hmm. uh, vibe. But yeah, I mean, I, I like and I like right from the off, 
you know, he's looking in that little mirror and he says, oh no, oh no, this won't do. And then a moment later, he's like, well, you know, actually. And like, <laughs> immediately that sort of ego starts to creep in. He's one of the most, like, self-assured doctors. I feel like. Mm. So, he then falls back asleep. Yes. But not really. So I like that the doctors can't even discern between asleep and awake. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, oh, he's closed his eyes, he must be dead. I mean, <laughs> medical science has come a long way in the last 50 years, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the press talk for a bit, and one of them's really weird as well. Yeah, just okay. s- kind of staring blankly. So Unit talk to Sam Seeley, who admits he's a poacher, because he wants to know how much money he can get for the like plastic eggshell thing that he found. Yeah. Okay, so the Doctor is then worried about his missing shoes, because he'd hid a key in his shoes. Yeah. And as he begins to search for them, he's kidnapped by the hospital porters. Yes. So they put some tape over his mouth, stick him in a wheelchair and begin wheeling him away. Yeah. But then I've put in my notes, he's an absolute wheelchair pro. Yeah. I, it just, it just basically, the, the show just turns into the goodies for five minutes. Yeah. At this point. But it's he's great. doing stunts that like Tony Hawk would be proud of on his skateboard. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's good fun, isn't it? <laughs> like it is. You know, I I really like as well how much care unit have for the hospital patients as they just start opening fire, blasting rifles around the hospital. <laughs> yeah. you know, imagine being being asleep. Yeah, you know, after major surgery, and all of a sudden there's just rifle fire. Yeah, and well, you know what? That comes into play a little bit later as well, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Trigger happy unit uh, guys. Yeah, because yeah. they shoot the doctor. Yes. Is, is that the next part in your notes? It's Yeah. yeah. The end yeah, of episode one, the doctor gets shot. Yeah, because he was trying... The, 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 uh, the brigadier had put an armed guard on his on the TARDIS, but didn't think to tell them, I mean, if a crazy man starts approaching the TARDIS, it's probably the doctor, so maybe don't shoot him. But anyway, yeah. So the Doctor dies in episode one. Yeah, the end. The end. See you all well, next week. Well, we're straight into Tom Baker, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> unsurprisingly, he's just unconscious. <coughs> yeah. But, David, he's more unconscious than anyone's ever been. <laughs> yeah. He not... is the best at being unconscious. Yeah, but not dead. No. Because yeah. he's put himself in a coma. Yeah. And in the part of his karma, he's clasping the TARDIS key. Yeah. Okay. So then, Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart finds part of a meteorite. It's made of plastic. And again, I've just written, there's something odd about that press guy. Yeah. So we get footage of a doll factory that goes on for about 30 seconds too long. Yes, definitely. It was like an episode of How It's Made. I wonder if that was stock footage. I think it might have been. I think they might have like got some old like Pathé newsreel footage from a doll factory. I was like, let's just do that, and you better get our money's worth. <laughs> so he return. There's a man who returns to work, and everything's a bit odd. This is John. Yeah. 
who has been rewarded by inventing a doll uh, by being sacked. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And his boss is really odd as well. Uh, what, oh, what's the, what's the guy? What's I've the character's name? Down. Channing. Is it is it Channing? Is oh it, no, it's Hibbert. No, it's Hibbert, isn't it? Yeah, because because Hibbert. Hi, Hibbert's Hibbert's the one the the poor like guy stuck in the middle. Yeah. 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 So he orders John away, and he keeps referring to we. Yeah. Okay. So. The Brigadier and Liz determine it's not a meteorite, but it's something that's been manufactured. Yes. Okay. And John's boss refers to it as an energy unit. Ooh. Because as we know, all energy is a form of life. Uh, uh, yes. Don't, don't, you don't need to go full science teacher on us, Matt. Yeah. We, we know that's silly. Yeah, so don't turn your light off when you go to bed tonight, David, or you're committing a murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fifty years ago. I'll let them off. It was, it was. Right. So an Auton senses uh, Sam Seeley's energy unit when he takes it out of a little box to look at it. Yeah. And then Sam Seeley, because he's such an endearing character, refers to his wife as woman and demands that she feed him. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Like I say, it's a, it's, a, it's a fairly broad stereotype. Yeah. But, I mean, let's also be honest, 50 years ago, was it was it that unrealistic? No, I think that was probably yeah. the signs of the time. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, was it that bad? <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've just gone too far, Matt. We've gone yeah. too far. Yeah, we should have never given them the right to vote, eh? <laughs> Yeah, it's been all downhill since there. Right. So, the army arrive to meet Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart. Yes. And, uh, again, a li- little bit of casual sexism. The army man just goes, oh, you're very lucky to have Liz around. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's nice. it's just, you know, like, nice to have a pretty face around. And, yeah. like, but Liz's reaction is, is like, spot on. Like... She just has no time for that bullshit. Yeah. Right. So, the Doctor is suddenly okay. Just, you know, gets better. Yeah. And has a little sneak through the hospital where he hides from his doctors in the shower. Yes. Uh, And this is another bit where I think Pertwee's quite funny. Yeah. Where he's hiding by singing in the shower so it's so awkward no one wants to look at him. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so he steals some clothes from the doctor's changing room. Yeah. Which is lucky, because one of the doctors came to work in fancy dress as Zorro that day. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, twice I've seen the doctor steal clothes from a hospital, and twice they've been the most ridiculous clothes I've ever seen. Three times, actually. Where was the the third? We've seen it in the film. We've seen it here. And uh, the 11th hour as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's always it's where doing it. He gets it, the that. bow tie, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Three times he's bloody hell. <laughs> like I've got it's friends who are doctors, and they don't dress like that. I'll tell you that for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if you went for like major surgery, you'd been in an accident, and you woke up and your doctor was just in fancy dress as Zorro. 
Yeah, to be fair, I think it wasn't the... I think he was maybe like the... Like the hospital chairman or something like that. You know, some sort of big wig mm. was the impression I got. I could be wrong. That would explain his fancy car. Yeah. So, unit find another energy unit. Yes. And the doctor has a little bit of trouble starting the old-fashioned car, but as soon as he can, he's away. Yeah. And the brigadier tries to open the TARDIS, but the key doesn't work. Ooh. Oh, no. It's the end of the TARDIS. Mm. So, uh, unit are just driving around in the car, and they crash when an auton walks into the road to steal the energy unit. Yeah, and so this is our first proper look at an auton, isn't it? Yes. We, yeah. yeah. So, what it's, do you think about the classic Auton? This is their first look? story. This is their first story, yeah. Ah, right. Because I did wonder, because I, I know there are other classic Auton stories. Yes. So I, I was like, the Doctor doesn't seem to know anything about these. No, no, no. This is fir- first time <laughs> for first him, time. too, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the old effects kind of makes them a bit scarier. Yeah. Proper nightmare fuel, I think. Um, especially when we get to episode four, but like, but even here, just one on its own, just sort of like standing in the road, it's like so creepy. Yeah, we'll talk about the one in episode four because there's a yeah. brilliant bit I want to talk about. Yeah. So the doctor arrives because he's got a new fancy watch which homes in on the TARDIS. Yeah, that's handy. Wonder why he got rid of that. Just, just makes me think they probably had some sort of watch sponsorship deal. <laughs> Like there's there's a new joke in the. I yeah. don't know if you've been watching this time with Alan Partridge. I watched the first series. Is there a new one out? Yeah, two <gasps> episodes of the second series. Oh, I, that's completely passed me by. Right. Well, I know what my TV but, highlight is probably going to be next week. Then one of the one of the main jokes is, and it's just a throwaway sentence in the first episode. Yeah. Is that he's being paid to advertise a new sock company? <laughs> So, like, they never hang a hat on it, but all the time he just pulls his trouser leg up so you can see his socks. <laughs> and even in episode two, he's just there trying to make sure his socks are in view. Ah, uh, brilliant. It, it, it's as good as the first series. It's uh, really, I really, really I really like this time. Probably, to be honest, probably my favourite Partridge Yeah. since maybe like, series one of Iron Man and Partridge. I, I don't think, know. I did like Mid-Morning Matters. Yeah, I think Mid-Morning Matters and This Time uh, are up there for me. Yeah. It's really, really good. And it it continues all the... So, like, the guy that Simon Farnaby plays is back in it. Oh, great. It's it's so good. uh, And I tell you what, the the bit that really stands out to me from from the last series of, of This Time is the episode where Coogan's playing... The like uh, the, the Irish, Irish look alike, yeah, just, just glorious. At, like genuinely, probably the best comedy comedy performance I saw of anything that year. <laughs> yeah, so funny. Yeah, uh, doesn't he like give him like a tortoise with his name misspelled? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does. and then sings him a song, but it's a really old, fire, like racist Irish <laughs> folk song. Yeah. Isn't it come out you black and tans? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, uh, uh, I, I won't say any more. Yeah, 
you've just yeah. got to enjoy it. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so psyched for that now. I didn't know it would come out. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, right, uh, back on track. Right. So the Doctor claims he's lost his memory, but he seems to be able to remember literally everything. So yes. I wonder what he's lost his memory of. Okay. Now, Liz and the Doctor... Oh, no, sorry. The Doctor talks to Liz in Delphon. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. Because uh, he's like, oh, what's... I don't know what gets him started on eyebrows, but he starts talking about how on Delphon they communicate with their eyebrows. And then, yeah, he does a quick waggle at Liz and just says, you know, I just said thank you in Delphon. Uh, but what I love about that moment is it's, it's good as a gag. But per- we plays it perfectly. But then Caroline John as as, as Liz Shaw plays it perfectly well because like it immediately disarms her. Mm. Like all of that spikiness that we've seen between her and the brigadier, where she's just not, uh, and and you know all the others in unit where she's just kind of not on board with them. That sort of patriarchal thing. There's something about the doctor's eccentricity that just com- immediately disarms her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it feels like from she's, that moment she's on... She's just got no response to it. Yeah, yeah. So from that moment on, she's just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> you know, she just goes with it in a way that I don't think she would have... Because it's, like, it's not like this Doctor isn't patronising. He's probably the most patriarchal of any Doctor mm. we've ever had. You know, he's probably the only Doctor who I can imagine voting Tory. <laughs> but there's something there's something about him where it, he's just so charming mm. so yeah so then John breaks back into the factory where his boss is talking to the army yeah and he breaks in somehow just using a plank of wood just pushes <laughs> a plank of wood against the door and it opens yeah magic uh, so he enters the sealed security room where an auton begins to stalk him. Yeah. So that's the end of episode two. Dun, dun, dun. So episode three opens with the auton. It's got a hand for uh, a hand for a gun, a gun for a hand. Gun for a hand, yeah. And chases him until Mr. Channing stares at him. Yeah. Okay. So the army believe that the Autons are making a wax model of the general. Yeah. And we'll come on to it in a bit, but do you think in this episode they use the word facsimile a little too often? <laughs> I don't know. It's an you know, educational show, isn't it? I'm sure a lot of a lot of nine-year-olds learnt the word facsimile for the first time watching this. Yeah, but especially with like Pertwee's accent, he like goes, They've made a facsimile. <laughs> like, <laughs> They just say it at the end of every sentence. Yeah, it's just a good say word. It's like, you know, it's a, a, a replicant, but it's just like, we've got to run. The facsimile is <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, I love it. So Channing sends an auton after John, and John runs through the moor to the soldiers. Okay? And when they find him, he is scared stiff. Yeah. And the soldier's really helpful, because... John's paralysed with fear, and the soldier just goes, here, why don't you try drinking this? Just throws a drink in his face. <laughs> yeah. Like, could have drowned him. Yeah. Okay, so 
the Doctor and Liz do a little bit of science, but they don't mm. have the equipment the Doctor needs. Yeah. He's got it on the TARDIS, but the Brigadier has the key. Yes. So he sends Liz to go get it. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, do we immediately see how that plays out or not? Uh, we've got a little bit with Sam Seeley, but yeah, we pretty yeah. much just skip to that. Yeah, so I really like... I, I, I love that Liz, again, you know, it's just another another little clue to her character, isn't it? That she, you know, he, she basically gets a not now deer from the Brigadier. So she's just like, ah, oh, screw it. It's just there. I'll just, I'll just have that then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like for someone who has basically been pulled into work, working for this very sort of hierarchical military organization, she's very much a, a loose unit. And I think it's why why she immediately gets on with the doctor because f- for all of the of of the third doctor's um patriarchal tendencies there is also definitely an anti-authority streak to him still mm. like he similarly just seems like faintly amused by all of the saluting and uh, and whatnot you know He's that he's there to solve a puzzle. He's not there to, to kind of uphold the the order in the same way. Yeah. Right. So, as Liz steals the key, the Doctor boards the TARDIS just as the Brigadier arrives, mm. realizing the key's been stolen. Yeah. So the TARDIS powers up, and there's a lot of smoke because the Doctor had tried to leave. But the TARDIS wouldn't let him. Yeah. So he just had enough and just decided he was going. Yeah, but he, you know, he sort of he 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 stumbles out a minute later through yeah. sort of billows of smoke, and honestly, he he acts like a like a schoolboy who's just been caught cheating in a maths test. Yeah. Doesn't he? He's like. He's like, so sorry, sheepish. Sorry, Liz. <laughs> I won't do it again. I promise. Yeah. Yeah. Because unbeknownst to the doctor, someone's changed the dematerialization code. Yeah. But it's it's the Time Lords. They've nobbled him. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Because doesn't he say like, oh, they've ruined it. They're selfish. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Sam Seeley's wife then has a little look at the energy unit. Yep. Whilst. The Doctor, the Brigadier and Liz talk to John again. Okay. Yeah. Now, because Sam's wife opened the box, the Autons are now aware of its uh, location. Yeah, it's less less muted now. They can lock and onto the signal. They call it the Swarm Leader. Yeah. Okay. So, everyone is now heading to Sam Seeley's house, including the Doctor, Liz and the Brigadier. Yeah. Okay. And we get a bit where Sam Seeley's wife hears a commotion... And in the house is an Auton looking for this energy cell. So she grabs her husband's gun and shoots it. But it's completely unfazed. Yes. Okay. And this is one of my favourite bits of the whole whole thing. Is unit arrive a little too late and start shooting the Auton. Yes. And it just runs off into the forest. But it does it in such of like a forest gump run. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's like they hadn't fully nailed down 
the behaviour of the Autons, because for a lot of it, they are quite jerky and robotic and yeah, slow. Yeah, they've just been slowly but, plodding their way yeah, through life. But, but yeah, this he does just proper leg it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was so yeah. jarring. I just laughed my head off when I was <laughs> just like, where's he going? Yeah, I think they quite quickly realised that that's not the best way to do Autons. It's, it's a bit, it does, it's something of an outlier. Right, so Channing says it's too soon for a major battle. We haven't really talked about Channing. He's basically head of the Autons. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's like head honcho at the plastics factory, but has basically just been completely taken over by the Autons, it seems. Yeah. So whilst the Doctor's looking at the energy unit, we realise that they've all left John behind. So the Auton that's been running through the forest... Finds him, shoots him, and then Channing's like, shoot to destroy. Absolute destruction. Yes, yeah. And he eviscerates John till there's no John left. Yeah, and it just like he shoots him once to kill him, and then just there's this weird, like, sort of whoop effect, and it's and then the, the body is just gone. And I'm like, I, it's a long time since I've seen Terror of the Autons. I don't know whether that ability features again but certainly they weren't doing that in rows were they no yeah that's a that's that's a neat trick yeah just blast someone out of existence yeah and again it's just a it's just a writing choice because they're like well they can't you know if the body's left lying around it's evidence so yeah yeah so somehow john's death means the doctor immediately solves everything <laughs> and it, like we just cut back and he's like we need to go to the plastic factory that's where they're hiding and he susses everything yeah okay so they go to the factory where the owner dismisses john's story and says look we're just making dolls yeah okay so the doctor now has a machine that can measure mental activity yeah sensing the energy unit because it's got consciousness. It's, it yes. says it's a bit like a brain. Yes. Okay. And then the army general that we've mentioned a little bit is just at home. There's a knock on the door. And when he opens it, it's himself. Because it wasn't a waxwork. It's an auton replicant. Yeah. Oh, Nightmare. good makeup work, though. Right? They just rub like, loads of Vaseline on his face. Yeah, but it, it's so effective. He's just a shiny boy. <laughs> I don't know, because there's something in the eyes as well. I don't know. It's just, it's... it. Ah, oh, I think it's... So, that's one of my... Uh, I really love that cliffhanger. Um, well... Because, yeah, it's just so creepy. Into episode four, then. So we find out the Doctor realises that the energy cells are communicating. They're transmitting to one another. Yep. And then the General, in inverted commas, calls the Brigadier to say the factory's now off limits. Okay? Yep. So the Brigadier says, well, if they've made a waxwork of the General, maybe we should visit Madame Two Swords to work this out. Yes. And again, Pertwee's quite funny here in the bit where he stands still and Liz is like, oh, where have you gone? Yeah. See, I, yeah. I remember, this is going back some, yeah. when I was young, in York, it wasn't the York Dungeons, right. but there, I, could, I, have, I only ever went once and then it just never existed again. 
there was a waxworks for What's a that? short period of time. And I remember one of the best things it had in it was just a waxwork of a random old lady reading a plaque. Huh. So you never knew if you were able to get past her to read it. She was just there. That's weird. I, I, I was going to ask, I've never been to a waxwork museum, I don't think. I, I haven't for about 30 years. I've I never been really... to Madame Tussauds. No, nor have I. I've never really understood the appeal, in all honesty. No. Just a bunch of, just, yeah, models of famous people. Well, It just seems a bit like, I don't know what, I don't know what people get out of that. Well, you might not know this, David, but whenever we record... I always play with a bit of blue tack just to, like, fiddle with. Yeah. So I think I might make a, a little model, and then I'll send you a picture later on, see if you can guess who it is. Oh, all right then. Okay. And if it's good enough, I'm going to open my own Madame Tussauds. <laughs> right. So, like I said, they've gone to Madame Tussauds, and all the waxworks are of government officials. Yes. I bet that was a popular... Popular exhibit. Yeah. yeah. Just like, oh, look, this lady works in a hospital. <laughs> um, so the doctor asks why the general's waxwork has an up-to-date watch on it. Yeah. It's like, like, it's not it's, it's not just, uh, you know, it's, it's not just that they've got a watch for, for, for a very similitude. It's like it's been wound and kept to current time. Yeah. Yeah, so he hints at that he thinks this isn't the waxwork, this is the real general, and the waxwork's out there somewhere. Yeah. Okay, so Channing needs the swarm leader brought to him, and the general takes him it. Okay, whilst the doctor hides out at the waxworks after closing, because he thinks yeah. the wax models are the real people, whilst the facsimiles walk about. Yes. Okay. So it's just the general's facsimile that's walking when mm. Channing arrives. Okay. So the doctor then speaks to Hibbert, who's the man in the middle, who's under Channing's spell. And it never really alludes to how. It's just no. Channing. Channing just sort of bullies him into following him. He, he does this weird neck thing throughout. But you never, yeah. like, see some sort of, like, weird alien implant or anything. Um... So I think that was probably just an acting choice on his part. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting the sort of levels of influence where, like, Channing is obviously just 100% nesting consciousness. Um, whereas Hibbert, it's like he's definitely being mind-controlled to an extent. But he can pass for human in a way that Channing can't at this point. Yeah. Okay, so... Channing puts the swarm leader just into a machine. Yeah. And it makes all the shop mannequins come to life. Yes. And as a result of that, chaos ensues. Yeah. Proper iconic sequence, this. Yeah, well, I did think that, because, like, Rose pretty much copies it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, the, that is the pit which is most heavily and directly influenced by this. I mean, there's a lot that, that Rose takes from this. And in some ways, I think Rose... Rose manages to kind of cut to the... You know, trim some of the fat, maybe, um, in comparison. Like, for example, the pretty much the first scene 
is Rose in the the basement of the of the department store being stalked by the Autons. Whereas with this, you don't get a proper Auton reveal till midway through episode two. Yeah, you know, and your big money shot is you know it is coming midway through episode four. So like. But I think, in some ways, that's just indicative of the era in which they were made, respectively. You know, whereas, you know, back in the day, I think audiences were a lot more willing to go along with something and see where it'll lead. Whereas in in 2005, oh, God, there was so much riding on Rose as an episode. So much riding on it. So Russell T. Davis must have spent a lot of time thinking about what that first scene would be. Mm. Don't forget the first scene's just all the yeah. establishing shots of London. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but but like it it it's still like within like I don't know what 90 seconds of the show being on, you've got Autons. And I I do maintain as well. I think Autons were absolutely the perfect choice for a first Doctor Who monster. You can't come in with the Daleks on episode 1. No, it's too much too soon. Yeah, and but you also, I don't think going with something modern, like imagine if the first story had been Slitheen. That wouldn't have felt right either, you know. But going for the Autons, which has always been a fan favourite, always been kind of iconic, um, but also not really particularly overused within Classic Who. It really it was, it was two stories in the Pertwee year and that was it. <laughs> it's this and Terror of the Autons and then nothing. Um, so yeah, inspired choice by Russell T Davies, I think, to 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 go with with Autons for Rose. Right. So the Doctor has told the Brigadier to rally the troops. Yeah. And Hibbert tries to destroy the big machine with the energy cells in, just by hitting it with a snooker cue. <laughs> yes. It's. Uh, I, I think it was maybe a metal pole, but it's so pathetic, isn't it? It's like. It's like, come on, mate. What is that gonna do? But, but you know, kudos to him for at least trying to break free. Yeah. Uh. So then Channing says that we are the Nestine. This is the first time we get them named. Yeah. yeah. And he says so as he kills Hibbert. Yeah. Okay. And then another well, highlight. Really talked... What do you think about the actor playing Channing? Do you think he puts in a good performance here? Oh yeah. He's yeah, because oh, he's got like dark features. Yeah, very well cast because he's he he look he looks like a bit of an everyman, but he 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 just gets that creepy stare perfect. Like, does he even blink in this story? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, so I I just feel like I I I've been meaning every time he comes up to say he's he's great in this. Mm. Really, really is good. Uh, so another highlight of this story for me is just where the doctor opens a door with a firework. Yeah, just yeah. Because everyone like... stand back, <laughs> and it's such a like tiny little disappointing <laughs> explosion, isn't it? Yeah. Just goes like, yeah. <laughs> that's that. Yeah, I mean, wither the sonic screwdriver, eh? Yeah. When does he get the sonic? He's already got it. It oh, just he's... hasn't. It just hasn't become this multi-purpose tool yet i mean obviously i the way the sonic is used in the classic series is is generally much less frequent than in the modern show because in part the modern series is telling stories often in 45 minutes and so you've just got to 
cut to the chase and having a magic device that will open any door is a very very useful tool as a writer if you want to tell a satisfying self-contained story in 45 minutes likewise the the psychic paper which was an introduction in in eccleston series that's never never featured in the classic series because it didn't have to you could have those scenes of the doctor being like pulled into somebody's office and interrogated until they've managed to like talk them round into letting them investigate whatever's going on you you don't you don't you know you don't have time for that in the modern series mm-hmm. so uh yeah definitely pertwee does bring out the old sonic screwdriver on occasion but it's it's much less frequent than in in the modern series so the auton general commands the troops of unit against the brigadier yeah. Until the Doctor blasts it. And I've called this a mental machine, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, it's just a noise machine that just shuts down autons. Yeah. So the Doctor immediately runs off to go blast some more, whilst the unit soldiers shoot at some of them. Yeah. And ultimately, the Doctor confronts Channing, and it all starts kicking off. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, you know what I was thinking in that scene, in that moment where you've got like a whole whole squad of unit privates just, sh- f- you know, futilely spraying bullets around, do, you know, do, achieving absolutely nothing. It's a bit of a trope of unit stories. And I'll be honest, I think it's something I miss that we've, we've had a few unit stories in, in, in New Who. We've never had that sort of classic just bunch of army guys hold up behind some crates or something, spraying bullets whilst some alien tormentor just just shambles towards them, completely uninhibited. And I, I yeah, I, I something I like about that. I feel like it's kind of core to the concept of of unit. Um, so I feel like. That's something you who should try again at some point. Just do a proper old school unit story. Yeah, I'd be trying that. I, I like, think you, unit are very different in the new stories, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I think the closest we got was probably the Sontaran two-parter from Series 4. Yes. Yeah, there was a lot of shooting in that. <coughs> yeah, yeah. But I thought that's a long time ago now. I'd be up for some more of that. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Right. So the Doctor's machine doesn't seem to work on the swarm leader. Yeah. And when he tries, a huge tentacle comes out of nowhere and grabs him. <laughs> it does. And Pertwee's yeah. face is brilliant. He's so good, isn't he? Just having a lovely cuddle with a big foam Just tentacle. going cross-eyed and just pulling the silliest face he can. <laughs> He, I, I would love to know how he was feeling doing, yeah. You because know, I think they shot them like sequentially, so this was his first story, you know, that he'd done. Hmm. He seems to be having an absolute whale of a time. Yeah, he's just relishing every moment, and you know what? I think he pretty much always did. Like even if he he wasn't, I get the feeling he knows this is easy money. <laughs> it's just like look right you're a classically yeah. trained actor but if you go and hang about with this tentacle for 20 million a week 
that's worth it. Well, I mean, it, it was, it wasn't meg, mega bucks. Well, it's no, fair it, to it say. won't be twenty million. But but, like. but he would have probably been. You know, he will certainly be the most well paid actor on on set. Um, and but yeah, I think the other interesting thing about it, like. Do- the doctor it's it is a challenging role you have to learn a lot of lines you have to do a lot of physical stuff you have to do a lot of stunts you and and you have to be able to convey a really wide range of moods and things and and turn quite quickly you know from from very silly to very angry or whatever it is you know there's a lot of range so it's a demanding part but also i think it's liberating for actors in that whilst you're doing all of that hard work, you kind of just get to be a version of yourself. Like, I think Pertwee was pretty much bringing a lot more of himself to the Doctor than he had in any of his previous more kind of comedic roles. You know? Yeah. I think, like... There's, a, I mean, obviously we've talked about the vehicle thing. That's definitely that's just him being him, really. But also, I just think his general suave manner. It's not that far off who he was, you know, off screen. I don't think. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So he's he's. I, he's... I would say I would add to that in the credits. Yeah. When his face flashes up. It's certainly the least haunting out of all of the old doctors. Yeah, no, he definitely has a has a nice sort of <laughs> jolly uncle quality to him. Yeah. Right. So the tentacles grabbed him, and the machine works at the last second, meaning all the autons die, including Channing. Yeah, that's handy. So you fought off an alien threat. You know, you've seen good men die. Yeah. What better way to tie it all together than just a cup of tea and a chat? It's the British way, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I love the way the Doctor's like, I really took a fancy to that car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, perfect, that's like me it? asking my wife if there's any more pudding left. <laughs> yes. It is exactly that vibe, isn't it? Just, just like, oh, I must say that apple pie was absolutely divine. And then I'd when, eat that again anytime you soon. You know, so he's, uh, you know, context with this, he's he's negotiating, basically getting onto onto units payroll. But you know, initially he's being offered a salary, and and, he's, and the, the doctor's like, money? What would I need money money for? You know, but. He's, you know, negotiating to, to to get the car because he's he's reluctantly admitted that he did technically steal that car and he will have to give it back. Um, and and then you know he says something there. Okay, well, when can we choose it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like a little kid being, you know, being offered to 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 get a new Lego set or something. Yeah. Uh yeah. And and he and he basically just commandeers Liz as well, and just says like, "Oh yes," and I'll need an assistant, of course, you know. And I, it's interesting. Like quite often, when you talk to people who grew up on Classic Who, they'll they'll default to the word assistant rather than companion. Mm-hmm. Companion's very much the modern parlance, though obviously it is used in Classic Who as well. 
Um, and I think a lot it really gets embedded in this era because, to be fair, it's not inaccurate. When he is working as a as a, you know in this sort of, you know, the doctor's got a job. It's weird, is it? Like the doctor's yeah. never had a job before, um, and yeah. Liz Shaw, Joe Grant, they, they really are his assistants. Mm-hmm. You know, they are there to, to kind of... I mean, Liz is more of an equal because she is more academic and, you know, science-y. And I, and I like that. I like the sort of more even footing they have mm-hmm. in that respect. Joe Grant is a little more kind of there to, to pass him beakers and and, and uh, f- fetch the biscuits and things but you know uh yeah it's it's it, it it's such an interesting era for the show it's a really big not a course correct per se but a, a timely change and one of the things that i think really did help to keep the show alive Yeah, yeah, I can see, I can see why. Yeah, like yeah, say, yeah. I I would just say this story as a whole just has a real charm to it. It just and, does, yeah. And I don't know whether that is Pertwee, whether it is Liz Shaw. Just the whole thing just worked for me. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, it's it's there more or less throughout Pertwee's era. If you like this, you will probably have a good time with... Because how, how far into his era is the Demons? Because that's the only other one I've seen. That's the following season, season eight. Okay. Because Liz, Liz isn't there for that, is she? No, no. Liz is, uh, Liz is only around for season seven. Right. And okay. I, unfortunately, I think there was a degree of sexism within the production team in that they, they had this bright idea, oh, let's have a feminist... You know, we'll have this sort of strident feminist character, and then, and they then didn't it know was what to do with her, and, and, and yeah, and they were just a little bit like, oh well, she's maybe a little bit too feminist, and then you right. look at Joe Grant, who is much more, you know, sweet and girly, and uh, and but that's not that's not me casting aspersions on Joe Grant, who actually is a wonderful character, and I think there's a there's a lot more under the surface than you might notice at first, but. There was an, I think, an, an element of the producers feeling like they'd gone too far with this Shaw, which right. is a shame because she's brilliant, and season seven is a great series. Yeah, so, yeah. Like I say, I, I would say, I don't know what was lacking when we watched the demons that I was so negative. That's here, but they just felt worlds apart. I just really yeah. like this story, and I think to be honest as well, you would you were to Doctor Who back then and i think doctor who is just one of the things the the more you absorb of it of any era the more you appreciate what any particular story is doing if that makes any sense yeah like you you start to notice that they've had to make particular choices with every aspect you know um how how the story's been structured, what kind of monsters or threat is is there is, you know, what kind of setting it is, um, the characters and how they utilise them. Um, 
and I think that yeah, just the more you watch of it, the more you can appreciate the minutiae of it. Um, but yeah, no, I'm 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 so happy you had a good time with this one, Matt. Yeah, I, it, it's worth remembering. I always want you to enjoy Doctor Who. Every week we watch it, I want you to have a good time. Even if it's an episode that I personally don't love, you know, and there are certainly a fair few of those, you know, I want you to like this show. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's wonderful and there's nothing else like it on TV. Um, So, yeah, uh, that being said, next week we're watching Class. (laughs) Oh, we are, aren't we? Yeah. I was just about to say, I thought we were watching the other Christmas special. We've got class on the agenda. We've got class to do. Because you insisted it. Okay. So we're just just doing the first episode, though, right? Uh, Yeah. How long are the episodes? I can't remember. Probably 45 minutes. I hope Uh, it's not more than 45 minutes. Let me just... Hour at most, but... Class episode one. If it's if it's thirty minutes, we'll do two. But uh, I don't class, think it is. Uh, awkwardly, there's very very little about this. Right, <laughs> episode one for tonight. We may die. Uh, running time fifty minutes. So yeah. it's one Doctor Who episode. Yeah, we're ju- we're just doing the one then. Yeah. Um. Yes. I, you know what? Okay, I'll. I've not I've not seen it since it first came out. I'll I'll be interested to see it with yeah. pretty much fresh eyes. Have you watched all of Class? No, no. I gave up after I think episode three or four. Okay. It just it didn't work for me at the time, but I think part of that was maybe me being a little uncharitable towards it in that I just wanted more Doctor Who. Right. Um I don't know. I've I've never really managed to get on with any of the TV spin-offs except Canine and Company. Except Canine and Company, which is flawless. Um but I'm always open to it and you know, opinions change and it has been what it was 5 years? 6 Since years it, even? Uh so that episode was 22nd of October, 2016. Yeah, so five years then. So maybe I'll feel differently this time. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I can't say I'm looking forward to it, but I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see how that goes. So do join us for that, listeners. Um, But until then, thank you very much for listening and cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.